0: Hey there, I'm Krista, your host for the Birding Tools podcast. Each week, I'll delve into the wonderful world of birds for birding beginners and those wanting to get the lowdown on what goes into watching and identifying birds. Let's get started. First, I wanted to let you know that I have a free guide to learning all about bird identification. After going through this workbook, you'll know about the five keys to bird identification. Size and shape, color and pattern, behavior, habitat and distribution, and sound. When you understand the main components of identifying a bird, you'll begin to feel more confident with your birding and identification skills. This process will not just help you with identifying birds by sight and sound easier, but it will also help deepen your connection with nature. To get this free guide, just visit the podcast show notes at birdingtools.com. Now today, I am so excited to share this episode with you. I met with Holly Garrett, the president of the Western Bird Banding Association, to talk all about her work, how she got started in the birding world, why bird banding is important, and how you can get involved if you're interested in learning more about banding. I'll add too that we use the term banding, but this is the same as ringing, which is the same thing as just another term. I don't want to keep you waiting, so let's jump in. All right, folks, I'm really excited to be joined by our guest on the podcast this week, Holly Garrod. She is the president of the Western Bird Banding Association, or WBBA, and research coordinator at the Costa Rica Bird Observatory. Welcome, Holly.
1: Hello, Krista. Good to be here.
0: Thanks so much for joining me. So I first learned about the work that you've been doing during your most recent webinar with the WBBA. And I felt like your knowledge and expertise about bird banding would be really valuable for our audience. And so I just really appreciate you being here with us and sharing that knowledge with us.
1: Yeah, no problem here and um i'm excited to chat with you more
0: about bird banding awesome well so before we get started uh on your work at the wbba how are you liking costa rica
1: i'm actually i'm loving costa rica the birding is incredible like i can walk up the hill to my house and the last weekend the the big day weekend i had 66 species just walking around by my house oh, so the biodiversity wow. is insane here and it's cool too because it's such a small country so you can go from coast to coast, and things differ. You can go up into the highlands, um, like two hour trip into the highlands. I can get quetzals and all sorts of Talamanca endemics, and then two hour trip to the coast, and you have a totally different suite of birds. So I think for that, and from the bird perspective, and the beaches are pretty, uh, pretty nice too. So I'd say Costa Rica uh, be all right.
0: That's I'm awesome. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I I love it. Uh, yeah, I can't wait to go there one day myself too. So, what are you doing at the Costa Rica Bird Observatory?
1: So, I'm working as the research coordinator, and so for with Costa Rica Bird Observatory, what we do is we do bird monitoring throughout the country of Costa Rica. So, there's a couple of different things. So, I guess I'll tell you a little bit about what Costa Rica Bird Observatory does, and then kind of my role within that. So, Costa Rica Bird Observatory, we have sites throughout the country. So, we have sites in San Vito near the Panama border. We have sites in Guanacaste, um, which is in the west coast. Um, we have a site at Inbio Parque, which is in San Jose. We have sites in uh, Cerro de la Muerte, so the highlands. Uh, we have sites in Tortuguero, which is the Caribbean coast. And then we just started a site in um, Puerto Jimenez in the Osa Peninsula. So we'll be running that this winter with Osa Birds. And then um, we also just recently acquired a site outside of Bralio Carrillo National Park, which is kind of as you're heading towards the Caribbean. And so um, we consistently run our... Caribbean site Tortuguero and um, our highland site Madre Selva. We run those two the most consistently. And the other ones we kind of run one one or two times a year, depending on funding. But the cool thing is a lot of our sites are kind of relying on collaborators. And so Madre Selva is actually the only site we own, but everywhere else we're working with collaborators, we're working with other NGOs to kind of help people discapacitate with bird banding, like in Guanacaste and Osa Peninsula, we'll be training more Costa Ricans how to bird band. And so we just kind of are helping to like bring bird banding around Costa Rica and just bring different ways for monitoring bird populations. And then one of the big projects we're currently working on now is we have a conservation easement for wood thrush. So wood thrush is a big nice. species of concern their populations have been declining. And so we've been, we have a PhD student here from uh, Michigan Tech who's working with Jared Wolf, And so he's doing some work looking at home range sizes on the winter grounds for wood thrush and seeing sort of how, their home range size differs based on fragment size. So that's really cool. And then we're kind of also working with local farmers to help get them to protect some of their land or set aside some of their land for wood thrush conservation. So the idea is is that farmers, we would pay farmers a certain amount of money depending on how much land they're willing to protect. And then that helps them kind of incentivize to keep some of this land good preserved for the wood thrush and and helps, helps protect the wood thrush. And so we're currently helping, but it, with coronavirus, obviously that's kind of made things a little difficult. So we're trying to work on like some virtual ways to reach out to people, virtual meetups, sending out information like little pamphlets. So it's just kind of we've been trying to figure out, because usually we just have these big barbecues, invite people, tell them about wood thrush, get them to sign up. But we can't really do that because of corona. So we're right. just trying to sort of right navigate that. Within Costa Rica Bird Observatory, so I work as the research coordinator. Again, our things are kind of off because of coronavirus, but in non-corona times, I hire the banders that run our sites. And so typically I hire two banders to move between our highland site and our lowland site. So Mother Selva and Tortuguero. So I hire two banders, experienced banders to do that. We hire banders on a year-round basis. So in Costa Rica, you get a 90-day tourist visa. So we typically have people stay two and a half months. And then after that, we kind of get a new round of people. And it's a really great way to get people, um, experienced people down to kind of experience banding in the tropics and also it, it gives the chance for a lot of different people to kind of cycle through. CRBO has been running for close to 30 years and we've had all sorts of people. Wow. The internship which is cool and so then part of my job as well is especially now since um, I actually haven't been in the field since March so I've been really working on our data set so we have this close to 30 year data set so some of the ideas to help publish it more so I've been looking at bird banding, so looking at if the birds are molting, looking at body quality, how that can help inform habitat quality in certain areas, especially for migrants. So I've been looking at the banding data set and kind of um, playing around, helping to push some manuscripts, redoing a lot of our protocols, um, rewriting maps. And then, um, yeah, so that's something that most of my job. So again, it's like a really nice combination of doing some bird banding. So when we have our bird banders, I'll be out in the field training them for a couple weeks, familiarizing them with our protocols, helping them, with learning how to age and process birds in the tropics because birds here are a little bit different. People are used to, a lot of times they do different molt patterns and they kind of throw people off. So I help sort of train people with that, get people familiar with bird banding in the tropics. Um, And then I also work with sort of just moving forward with the C.R.B.A. dancing.
0: Talking about wood thrush research too, that really catches my eye because that was the first project too that i worked on in southern indiana looking at how wood thrush use habitats so wood thrush have a special place in my heart and my alarm even that i wake up to every morning is a wood thrush song
1: no way wood thrush thrush is like the hot species right now and actually we just work we're working with some people from pennsylvania and they're focusing on wood thrush And they're helping us get some modus towers down here in Costa Rica. And so then because they're tagging a bunch of the wood thrush in Pennsylvania. So then the idea is to actually see where they're going in Costa Rica. So that's so cool. Wood thrush. (laughs) I love it. Yeah, wood
0: thrush. They're the best. I guess since I loved your story that you told me before about how you started birding, I just think it's fun for people to see the different ways or hear about the different ways that people get into birding. So I just love to ask you to share your story there.
1: Yeah, no problem. My story, I guess, is a little unusual because they did get started at a really young age. But um, so I grew up in the mountains of Colorado in the foothills. And I was always so, my mom always used to take me on walks. And I always used to to love seeing the birds. But I think what really sparked my interest was this friend of mine, her parents are wildlife biologists. And so they used to take us out birding. So we used to wake up at 5 a.m. and drive down to Bar Lake. And they would show us birds. And my friend absolutely hated it. But she was always complaining the whole time, but I loved it. And so my friend, uh, my, or I, my friend's dad and myself would make these lists and I got so hooked. And so then I think my, my biggest turning point was they invited myself and my family down to Monta Vista, so Southern Colorado to see the sandhill crane migration. And it was just insane. Like there were just miles and miles of cranes. And then since they were wildlife biologists, they invited us to come out duck banding. And so we got to put on waders and the wade out and get these ducks out of traps. And I got to ban my first bird actually at around ten years old, which was a mallard. That's so, and so I got cool. To ban a mallard and a ruddy duck, and I think a gluing teal as well, if I remember correctly. And then it was amazing too because the biologist got to show us how to sex the ducks. So you press on the cloaca and the penis pops out. And then for me, my sister and my friend were just disgusted. They were like, this is horrible. But I was so into it. I was like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. And then since then, I was just hooked. And yeah, I used to go chasing her birds in high school and during my free period. And I was just always keeping lists and always birding. So yeah, since then, that was kind of like the the spark that really kept me going.
0: That's awesome. Biologist at heart. I just love hearing about the different ways that people get started with birding because it's just so unique. Every time you talk to somebody, sometimes it's, you know, when they're 40 years old or 50 years old, or sometimes it's when they're a kid and they get a spark bird or a spark person who introduces them to it. I just love the variety there. Yeah,
1: it's it's wonderful because so many people have like a certain species that really hooks them or I mean, it's just like at any age, right? You can just
0: There's like no wrong age to turn to birds. That is for sure. Let's get into the Western Bird Banding Association and or the WBBA. I know we're probably going to interchange with our acronym there. Tell us a little bit about the WBBA and how you got involved with them and the kind of work that you're doing with them now.
1: Yeah. So I'm the president of the Western Bird Banding Association. And so I guess I can start sort of with my involvement. So I got involved with WBA back in, um, I want to say 2014. So um, I went to Humboldt State University in Northern California, so I did my undergrad. And so I did a lot of my bird banding training at Humboldt Bay Bird Observatory under CJ Ralph and Kim Hollinger. And so they kind of really got me involved in the bird banding world. And I did my senior thesis with uh, CJ Kim and I was actually looking at eye color changes so one of the things that really stuck out to me is I noticed that some birds that uh, people would make notes about eye color and it was, it wasn't really noted in the pile, which is like the Vander's guide to aging birds. The Vander's Bible as a lot of people call it. Yeah. Um, and so I, I started noting that. and So I created the standardized photography procedure and, and quantified eye color. And so I made this really nice little honors, senior thesis looking at that and showing that uh, that eye color changes actually happened for a lot of different birds. And so then CJ actually encouraged me to present that at, I think the WBBA meeting at the time was in Humboldt that year, I want to say. And so then I actually went to the WBBA meeting and presented my work. And then the WBBA was just a really cool community of, of people. And so then I ended up just going to a couple of different meetings. I went to a meeting down in Tucson, which is where I did my North American Banding Council certification, which is kind of like a certification that shows you're a competent Independent bander essentially, and so I, I did my NABC certification down in Tucson at a WBBA meeting. And just I ended up networking and meeting all sorts of people. And so I just kept going to these meetings because they were really fun times to meet different bird banders, learn about bird banding research. And then, uh, since I continued to be involved, they asked me to be on the board, and then they asked me to be the vice president, and then now I'm the president. So, yeah, it was, it was a cool organization to get involved with. So, some of the things I guess too that WBBA does so, the biggest thing they do is they host these annual meetings typically unfortunately again this year coronavirus has kind of put a dent in a lot of plans but um so we did have to postpone our meeting this year but a lot of times we offer these so every year typically we offer an annual meeting that's somewhere in the west so it can usually it's like west of the rockies so and it alternates every year between a different state between california And then it's a really great opportunity just for bird vendors everywhere to meet up. We usually do workshops. We, everyone presents their research. So it's a really great way too. especially when I first presented my research, it's not too intimidating of a crowd. Like everyone's there to learn. Everyone's there to learn about bird banding. And so it's a really nice way to like present your research as you're starting out, especially like early career people I found. And just anyone like, like sometimes people just present on backyard studies and, Sometimes people are presenting on their PhD. So it's this really awesome mix of just like researchers from all different calibers. I love that. And then, yeah, I do too. And it's just like a not intimidating scene. And like you get to just meet people who are all into it and all just like want to learn more about bird banding. So I think that's the biggest thing WBBA does. But we also publish with an Eastern Bird Banding Association, an Inland Bird Banding Association. We publish a quarterly journal called North American Bird Bander. And we're always looking for submissions. So if you have a note or any sort of summary about your bird banding that you wanna submit, definitely I would encourage you to submit that. So that's, a, it's a really cool journal again, and it just helps connect people, helps connect people doing bird banding and bird banding research about kind of like modern techniques. A lot of times too, people just submit maybe a new technique they discovered, some sort of misnets nets that work better than others. So it's really cool again, and it's kind of has that same you know, as the WBBA where it's like there's some people who are submitting more scientific manuscripts but some people submitting more notes and like all is welcome so it's just like a really nice mix to peruse so I think those are the two main things WBBA does right now we are starting to offer more webinars so that's one thing especially because things are in a more virtual sense so we're trying to offer more webinars to people and we're trying to sort of help also just create more ways for banders to meet up for banders to share information yeah, I think those are the most of the things we do. Just kind of again promote like ethical bird banding through our social media and help promote other bird banding research. So I always like will tag us in their social media. I love to sort of help spread about like what other bird banding research people are doing or just bird research even. So.
0: Awesome. Yeah. I, so going back to the connection part too, I, we just did an episode on how to connect with other bird watchers and other birders in the community and just based off of some of the things that other birders contributed and told me about. And I think that that's a great way another great way to get involved and connected with the birding community and other birders in general is to get involved in the webinars, get involved in these different meetings and meeting people that way. And like you said, it's not an intimidating place for people to come and share information and get to know other people in the community. I think that's great.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I, I can say too, um, just like from my own personal story, like I've met people like, when I was at a WBBA meeting in Tucson, I met a couple who were from Colorado, and so we were all like, oh, we're all from Colorado. And now, every time I'm back visiting my parents, I always visit them. We go birding together. So, yeah, it's just, like, a really cool way to, to meet all sorts of different people from all backgrounds and just, like, connected love of birds. I think it's super cool.
0: Oh, I love that. Yeah, and with the journal submissions too, I will make sure that I get that information and post it to our podcast show notes just so that if anybody is interested, and I'll share it on our socials pages so that anyone can contribute to that and get more information about that if they have questions.
1: That would be wonderful. We're always looking for journal submissions, and again, it's like any sort of notes and anything you have that related to bird banding, please submit.
0: it. Awesome. So- With bird banding, can you talk a little bit about the importance and the utility of bird banding?
1: Definitely, yeah. And I'm glad you brought that up because that's definitely something I want to talk about. Um, So with bird banding, bird banding is this really awesome tool that's used to study bird populations. And so what I think, there's a lot of really valuable information you can get out of bird banding. And specifically, when you have a bird in the hand, you can get really great demography information because you're able a lot of times to age the birds. And then you can get really valuable information about if the birds are molting, um, which is when they're replacing feathers. And you can also, which is really cool, you can actually see how much fat the birds store because their skin is somewhat translucent. So you can see how much fat these birds store. You can see them, how much weight they have. So I've caught birds sometimes that are kind of stop over and stop over places and you catch them. We caught this eerie in Pennsylvania. And I think in, within a two week span, it gained like, 14 grams or something. It's saying it went wow. from like twenty grams to like 36 grams, which is insane for a small bird. And it was like full of that. So it's really cool. And that it shows you that kind of information. You can't really quite get from bird watching because you actually need to have the bird in the hand to see this condition, but you can get really good information of, okay, these birds are clearly gaining a lot of weight. So this habitat must be valuable stopover. And again, it's like with things like molting as well, you can see okay like these birds are replacing their feathers that's a very energetically expensive life event so they have to be in areas where they're able to get the proper resources in order to grow those feathers properly so you can use bird banding not only to look at sort of population trends with looking at okay where are younger birds moving versus older birds but you can also look at okay how is the condition and body quality of these birds reflected in the habitat so and you can just really start to see okay like where are these birds moving through. Another thing with banding that's really cool is you get really great recapture data. So you can get I caught for instance the oldest ever lesser goldfinch, and so a lot of these kind of longevity records come from banding because at a certain point you can't age the birds really past like second year or like once they're like with it going into their second volt cycle they all look the same, and so after that you just have like okay well we know they're all older birds, but then to actually get these banding recapture data. You can see that they're X years old, and so it's actually given some, like, really nice information on exactly how some of these birds can live. Like, some of them, there's even, like, records of Wilson's warblers, which are so tiny, like, 9-gram bird living, like, 10 years. So there's some really valuable data that comes out of it.
0: Do you know how many birds you've personally banded?
1: I So I don't have an exact count, but I estimated to be somewhere around 10,000.
0: Nice. <laughs> yeah. So when you are talking a little bit about the importance of banding, earlier you mentioned ethical banding. So what goes into ethical banding?
1: So with ethical banding, a lot of it's considering, um, so you need specific training and specific permits for bird banding. And so especially with bird banding, you want to make sure you have the proper permits and you're doing it legally, and you want to make sure you have the training to do it safely. So one of the things with bird banding is it is a more intensive monitoring technique. So it requires people to know how to take birds out of mist nets. It requires people to know how to put bands on birds safely, how to take measurements safely, and how to do everything in a very timely and efficient process, because obviously it's going to be a little bit stressful for the birds. And so you want to make sure you're doing that as quickly and efficiently as possible to get these birds back into the wild. Because I always like to think about it. It's kind of like an alien abduction, right? You're kind of like walking around, you get snatched, you get measured and you get released. And so you want to make it as, stress free as possible for the birds. And so I think another thing that really takes into consideration is you want to make sure that what you're doing is you need bird banding. And so as I mentioned, like bird banding, there's a lot of really valuable information you can get out of it, but you also want to make sure that when you're bird banding, you're not just doing it for the sake of doing it. You actually want to make sure you have a research question and you want to make sure, I think a really big part of ethical banding is making sure that the data you collect gets published or it gets put into a larger database or submitted to Places like the Institute of Bird Populations, where where people can use this data to help sort of study, uh, because a lot of us know bird populations are declining. So making sure this data really gets used, I think, is a big part of ethical banding. So just, yeah, making sure you're doing it in a way that's safe for the birds, safe for the people, and that you're making sure you put your banding data to the best use possible.
0: that that's really important to understand because i think a lot of people get really excited you know especially birders about the prospect of having a bird in hand but there's so much more that goes into it than just handling wildlife right there's that ethical component
1: and i think one thing too to connect it to birding i mean what i've seen like with birds in the hand not only is it a great way to sort of spark this interest in birds because you get to see birds in this perspective where you never saw them before you know like usually you see them far away you see some sort of blur and you're like, I don't know what that was. But when you see them in the hand, you get to see these details that are talked about on Sibley Guys and you can actually like see them up close. But it's just this totally different perspective. And so um, it's, it's, I feel like it's great even as a birder to like see a few birds in the hands because you just, you just appreciate some of the identification. Even, so have you ever banded a bird or seen like a bird banding? Yes. Have you done bird banding?
0: Yeah. So I I banded mostly Western bluebirds and Oregon Vesper sparrows for a couple of years up north in Washington state. So just little, you know, and if you've, if you've handled uh, bluebirds before, they are just the sweetest and easiest birds to handle. So, and soon here, I'm going to be working on a project where we're going to be banding grackles. So... It's to- two totally different kinds of birds. I've heard grackles are really feisty in hand, so it'll be a new experience for me with those particular individuals, but. <laughs> no,
1: that's cool, though. That's cool.
0: Yeah, it's, yeah, so much fun and such a great learning tool, like you said. So we talked about the ethics and just the components to think about with banding overall. What qualifications would somebody need to get started with banding? and how can people get involved in maybe going to a bird banding techniques lab or something like that where they can learn a little bit more about it and maybe even work on a bird banding lab
1: yeah that's a, so I think one of the the catchphrases with bird banding and with a lot of wildlife jobs is that a lot of people want you to have experience but then it's like how do you get that experience so what I've found is the best way to, to find ways to volunteer your time. And so to look into local bird observatories, bird banding projects, or even sometimes universities, professors have kind of long-term studies. And I would just start reaching out to people and seeing if they need help, seeing if they need volunteers. A lot of bird observatories that are running these kind of constant effort banding during MAPS, which is like summer productivity studies through of bird populations, or like or bird observatories doing fall migration. A lot of them, You can use volunteers. And so, and the thing is too, when you're starting out volunteering, you have to understand you might not be jumping straight into the bird banding. Sometimes you start out just scribing, but then you have to get to know how the data is taken, right? And once you get really familiar with the data itself and how the data is taken, then you start going into, okay, how do you take a bird out of a net? And then you get into, okay, so how do you band the bird? And so, a lot of times when you're starting out, you might not jump straight into banding. Like a lot of times, there's so much that's around it there's a lot of other things to do. I've spent months of my life just doing data entry sometimes, so there's so many different aspects of it that to do the fun part where you're you have these birds in the hand, you kind of also have to put in the hard work to do um, a lot of that data the management data entry and data scribing especially is a big thing. But yeah, I think kind of reaching out and again to uh, like these conferences and webinars They're great ways to see, okay, where are people banding? Where are people, where can I start to reach out to people? I'm based here. Where can I find these resources? So we're currently, the WBBA website is in the process of being revamped, so we're under construction right now, but we're hoping to offer some of those resources as well and just kind of list where our members are based out of, what projects are we associated with that people can reach out to. But again, I would start as well looking into social media, like follow WBBA on Facebook, follow WBBA on Instagram. That's my small little plug. But we're also, like, oftentimes we're reposting about a lot of other people's banding operations. And so it's a really great way to see where other people are banding. And if you are banding, definitely tag us in your project if you're looking for volunteers, because we promote a lot of that and we promote bird banding jobs. So it's a really great way to sort of connect people who are both bird banding and looking for bird banding opportunities.
0: Perfect. And I know, I mean, right now, it's a little bit different because of social distancing and people not really being able to travel as easily. So are there observatories and other opportunities where people might be able to still go and learn about banding even right now? Do you know?
1: Yes, that's a great question. I know. So the North American Banding Council, as I I mentioned, they kind of help distribute these rules and regulations for ethical bird banding and so one of the things is they did release covid procedures that should be followed during bird banding and a lot of that so unfortunately a lot of bird observatories have stopped taking volunteers because they just can't train people and a big part of bird banding is you blow on the birds to to move the feathers and look at fat. so obviously blowing on birds with coronavirus isn't isn't the best thing So there's like people are looking into alternatives for like ways to sort of squeeze air onto birds instead of blowing a lot of people are wearing masks and so it'll depend on the bird observatory some people are only taking experienced volunteers some people are only taking people who have been volunteering in that area for a while and some people just aren't taking volunteers so i would reach out to people and the chances are is even if you can't bird band right now they might still need help with their social media they might still need help with their data and again. Then, maybe when things open up and things are calmed down, it's a great way to get in. There are still a few places that are hoping to offer workshops. And workshops, again, are another great way to get introduced to a lot of bird banding techniques. So, the one thing, the one like qualifier I'll say for workshops is that when you go to a week long workshop, you're not going to leave being like the master bird bander, but you're going to leave with a really great set of introductory skills that'll help you step into any sort of bird banding volunteer opportunity, I would say. So I know that there's a few places that are hoping to offer workshops that are NABC certified, and also kind of fitting into those NABC COVID regulations. So
0: you bring up such a good point about these organizations also needing help with social media and other ways to just help out until you know, they might be able to have room or space or opportunity to come in and learn other techniques and information. So thank you. You mentioned, too, earlier that the WBBA has some webinars coming up, and I know that some of those topics are really pertinent also to helping people with some of this bird banding jargon and information. So what are those webinars going to be on?
1: Yeah, so we are that um, that was sort of on a lot of the topics actually I've covered with you today, sort of talking about introduction to bird banding, how to get involved, and what the WBBA does. But we're hoping our our future webinars are going to be a little bit more bird banding specific. A lot of people have requested um, a molt webinar. So our next webinar will be hopefully sometime in mid-November, we're aiming, will be led by the Institute of Bird Populations um, biologist, Debbie Kashubi. And she'll be talking about a little bit of um, an introduction to molt patterns, birds and and um, sort of how the molt cycle of the bird works, and uh, especially for passerines, so songbirds, which is a lot of times what bird banding is focused on.
0: And then we're also hoping um,
1: WBBA board member, Christy Conrad-Smith, is hopefully gonna be leading a workshop in January that will be focusing more on aging techniques. So she these workshop's gonna be more on the molt cycle and Christy's is gonna be more on aging. So how to use the molt cycle to age birds and also kind of other techniques like feather shape and wear, Eye color, which I mentioned I'm very much into. So different techniques to use to age birds. And so, yeah, those are two upcoming webinars. But if people have other ideas, more things you want to see, just shoot us a message and be happy to develop a webinar for what people are interested in.
0: Perfect. And people can stay up to date on when those webinars are going to be and where if they follow your Facebook page or Instagram page, and then maybe also if they're on your listserv.
1: Yeah, so if you want to become a member, which I definitely encourage if anyone's interested in bird banding, then you'll become part of our membership listserv, and we send out a lot of that information. But we do also put it on our social media, so we put it on our Facebook, which is Western Bird Banding Association, and our Instagram and Twitter, which is WBBA underscore birds. And then, yeah, hopefully we will be putting it on our website, but as I mentioned, our website's a little under construction, so just stay tuned for that.
0: (laughs) And so with the membership, what does a membership with WBBA look like?
1: But right now, you get access to our quarterly journal, which is awesome. So you can stay up to date on the latest bird banding news and techniques, which is pretty cool. And then you get a reduced rate to go to our conferences as well. And then, so what we're kind of hoping to start on our website is kind of a members-only page as well. So your membership would include access to more specific materials, sort of more maybe bird banding course materials with like in regards to molt or aging and Right now, all of our webinars are available to everyone, so you don't have to be a member to enjoy our webinars, but um, we do appreciate your membership when you are enjoying our webinars, so.
0: Perfect. And, you know, there was one more question, too. Somebody asked me about if they see a bird that has a band on it, should they report it to anybody, and kind of what, what might they be looking for if they do want to report that band to anybody?
1: That is a wonderful question. And honestly, reporting bands is like one of the most important things about bird banding. And so if you want to report a band, you can literally Google report a band and there should be a form to submit a band to the USGS. If you are not reporting like a US based band or tag, them, you can, again, I would look up resources like how to report a band. And there's a couple different bird banding groups on Facebook. And a lot of times people will submit there. So even for instance, I was in Paris last year on a layover and I found a bunch of ravens that were banded. And so I got pictures because the bands were big enough to see the number. And then wow. I submitted those to the bird banding group like, Hey, anybody's these birds are these? And the thing is, is like everybody loves it when you find their recaptures. So that's like the best thing you can do is report a band find recaptures, captures, and you can even message WBBA. Um, you can, like, message our Facebook or Instagram, and if you find a band, we'll, we'll help you record it as well because that's, that's, like, one of the most important aspects of banding is seeing where these birds go.
0: Yeah, I haven't – I feel like especially songbirds and things like that sometimes will peek at their legs just to see if there's anything on there, and I've probably only seen one banded songbird ever when I've been out birding, <laughs> but just in case <laughs> – for those who do yeah. happen to see them, that's some good information.
1: And even, I've seen people with those mega lenses, like, I've seen people even get band numbers off of those. Yes. I think I have before, too, but I don't even have that great of a lens. But you can sometimes. So I always do that, too. I always check them, like, is it banded? Or if you can get sometimes color band combos. Yeah. It's always much appreciated.
0: Oh, that's such a good point about the telephoto lenses. So many people are doing digiscoping and things like that now. There's all these different ways for people to get photos and videos of birds. So is there anything that you wanted to just kind of let everybody else know that I didn't cover or that I didn't ask you about?
1: I think the biggest thing I would say is that like, um, yeah, bird banding is a tool that's used to study bird populations and it's by no means a career and by no means the the be-all and all the studying birds there's so many other ways like censuses even bird watching and submitting your data to eBird that's huge I've been doing some analyses with some friends on eBird data and it's so cool so I guess like don't think just because if you can't get involved in bird banding or maybe it's free there's so many other ways to be involved in the world of birds and just like I don't know like bird banding it's a amazing way to study birds amazing way to teach people about birds but yeah it's not the be-all end-all there's definitely other census techniques and even when you are running a bird observatory bird banding isn't everything you know you're you gotta still think about data management you gotta think about so many other aspects that go into you kind know, of running one of these bird monitoring operations so
0: that's such a good point Holly I'm really glad you brought that up to you Well, thank you so much for coming on and joining us and talking about the WBBA and all the work that you've been doing. It's just awesome. I love hearing all about everything that's going on down there with you. So I for sure follow the WBBA and you on social media, and I definitely encourage other people to do it too. They post a lot of really wonderful content on their pages and not only helpful content, but just fun content, too, and really connecting with other people out there. So I appreciate that a lot.
1: Oh, thank you so much, Krista. That means so much to me. And yeah, thank you so much for having me on this podcast and letting me talk about birds and bird banding for a bit because it's one of the best things, I think.
0: Thank you so much.
1: Yeah, thank you.
0: Wow, Holly is such a wealth of information and knowledge about bird banding. I hope you've learned a lot of new information and decide to follow Holly and the Western Bird Banding Association on social media or decide to become a member to keep updated on what's going on in the banding world. Now, as Holly mentioned, if you aren't in Western North America, there are other bird banding associations with which you can get involved and you can still follow and reach out to the WBBA to get connected with the right organization near you. I'm now a WBBA member, and I'm looking forward to the connections and opportunity that it's going to afford me in moving forward with my techniques in banding, but most importantly, establishing a community connection in the banding world. So there you have it. Thanks so much for tuning into the Birding Tools podcast, and I hope this material was helpful to you. To access information about the content either me or Holly mentioned in the show and the show notes, visit our website at birdingtools.com. Next week, we are getting into bird speak, specifically mnemonics and other tools to help us remember those bird sounds. If you enjoyed this episode and want to get updates on the latest birding tools has to offer, subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening now. See you next time.